Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to... Uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So, Go do that. Uh, again, that's chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review. Follow on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, I think that's it. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Sports reporters assemble! Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, you heard it. The sports reporters, they have indeed assembled because it is Friday afternoon where I am joined by only one other fellow sports reporter. Shout out to Andrew Hammond of the Detroit Free Press. We miss you. He'll be back next week. Uh, But here, Robert Silverman of the Daily Beast. Robert, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Chase? Not too bad. You unveiled not only to the group chat, but to the the fine folks on Twitter.com. Uh, of your new dog, Max. I did. I got a dog. Max is awesome. He's a cocker poodle. He's two years old. Weighs about twenty-one pounds. Um, and and uh, it's very cool. He's right now nipping at my heels, begging for part of my lunch. So that's a good day, in my opinion. What was uh, on the docket on the menu for uh, for lunch today? Chase, I had a ham and brie sandwich with fig <laughs> bread. It mm-hmm. was very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I splurged. Usually I try to avoid uh, the glutens because I, technically I shouldn't have them at all. But, you know, it's been a long week and I felt treat myself to some mild stomach discomfort later tonight. Do you have a gluten allergy? I am gluten intolerant. It's not I can handle, you know, a couple like a piece of bread or two once a week. And if I exceed that, then... I have a great deal of gastric distress, um, but uh, and while I did also exceed my limit yesterday, mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been a long and difficult week, and, and and that sandwich just had my name on it, man. It, it be like that sometimes, Bob. It do be. It do be. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have not eaten lunch yet. I've just had my okay. uh, protein shakes. I told you I. Ate. Um, I raced over here um, and had to get some last little things wrapped up before um, thing, we got started recording with the gym and everything. But uh, Khaleesi, the dog, is also over here. She likes joining the podcast. So this is just a dog-friendly podcast at this point. We got Max, we got it's Khaleesi, true. we got the whole gang together. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could we could do dog. I'm not an expert. Look, I am not an experienced dog owner. This is the first dog I've had in my entire washed middle aged life. Wait, I've really? Never had one before. Yeah, because when I was a kid, I had really bad allergies to animal hair and animal dander, mm-hmm. and so we just couldn't because I would have been a sniffling, uh, red eyed, uh, you know, asthmatic mess. Shocker. If we had had a pet dog. So we didn't when I was a kid. My sister had the same problem. So it was just a no-go. My sister has, you know, we've all sort of grown out of those allergies, thank God. Um, So my sister also has had two dogs so far. But this is my first. Mm. This is Max. It's outstanding. I I get to post pictures of the dog on the internet. And then people give me likes Mm-hmm. And say nice things to me, as opposed to other things that I post in the internet that make, say, violently far right Swedes mad at me. So I think it's uh, all in all, it's a far more positive online experience. What are you alluding to on that last part there? Well, now that you've asked, <laughs> uh, I wrote a story this week about, if not the top, the number two most popular political YouTuber in America. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Tim Pool. It's a very long story. I've been working on it for many months. And it is basically trying to answer the question of, he, he built this massive, fairly influential empire entirely on YouTube. And it's uh, so, it has reached such a size. He's got total 3.3 million subscribers across his three channels, 1.5 billion views in the four to five years he's been YouTubing regularly. Um, And it earns him about, I would say, he has said in a recording that I received that in his best month he earned $600,000. I don't know if he's exaggerating somewhat, um, but that's his claim about how much he he has earned to Mm -hmm. his friends or or his then colleagues. And uh, uh, by even a, even with a far more conservative estimate, it is 100,000, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Somewhere between like Social Blade, which is a, uh, a site that tracks uh, social media metrics, puts it at somewhere between like two and four hundred thousand dollars per month for making YouTube vids in which he reads someone else's article and then gets mad about it in various ways. Um, I wasn't and he familiar has with him until your, your yeah, article. I didn't that's, know. I mean, okay, here's the thing. If we're going to talk about my blog, let's mm-hmm. talk about my blog. Um, the thing is, is that one of the reasons I, I started looking into this is because his channel had grown so large and no one had really no one was really aware of it or his existence. So there was a tangential awareness amongst online sickos and people who pay attention <laughs> to this sort of thing, people with bad brainworms like me. But if you scratched a person who wasn't spending way too much time in you know the 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 political internet they would probably not know who he is he doesn't he's made maybe a handful of appearances over the years on fox news he certainly is not boosted by you know the hoover institute or any other or the american enterprise institute or the claremont institute or any institute for conservative you know well-funded conservative think tanks he you know none of those things helped him he built this entirely on his own on YouTube, and as a result, he's sort of been avoided scrutiny. And over the last four years, this is a person who started out and got a bit of fame because they were live streaming from Occupy Wall Street protests back in 2011. And 
over the course of the last decade, his politics have swung wildly to the right. Or actually, let me phrase that. I am not exactly sure what his politics were then, and I'm still not exactly sure what his personal belief system is now. Mm-hmm. All that I know is what I can report from watching, by even, again, a very conservative estimate, hundreds of hours worth of his videos, is that he routinely promotes, disseminates, comments on uh, issues, conspiracies, and pressing culture war matters that are circulating mainly among the online right. And he also provides a platform where he gives zero pushback to openly far-right figures, in some cases, you know, people who have very clearly allied with white nationalists, and in some cases, open anti-Semites, people who promoted the Stop the Steal protests, people who were involved with Pizzagate, you know, like literally the kind of people for whom even Fox News might sort of back slowly away rather than put them on air. So that's his function in the conservative media food chain, is to boost the signal of far-right ideas and at times out openly white nationalist ideas. So my, my question going into this was, well, wait a second. How did one, how did he in his career get to this place? Because it was certainly not where he started a decade ago. And two, the question is, how, why is no one aware of this person's existence when they have built a very influential platform without much in the way of scrutiny? So that's why I wrote many, many words and spent many, many hours listening to this. And I would, I'd be honored if you'd give it a read. If we're going to if we're not talking sports, please read my blog about the YouTuber. It's a good blog, Bob. Thank you. I appreciate that. It is. I had I to read it in blog. spurts, though. It was. Yeah, it, it's a long read. <laughs> it is. It is a Don Van Natta ass long read that you mm-hmm. got. You, you believe better believe that, buddy. Um it is. I mean, well, I mean, here's well, the, the weirdest point. thing like, about this to me is like, yeah. or I guess maybe not even the weirdest, but like something that stood out to me that I jotted down was that he he talks about like the algorithms of Facebook and you wrote about that in the algorithms in of case, YouTube, YouTube and complaining yeah. about algorithms. And like, you're like, clearly YouTube is a, like they picked him because he is promoted. And like, I, I am not familiar with like how deep into the weeds did you get on the whole algorithm aspect I, of his rise? Yeah, I didn't really I'm I'm not skilled enough and and I'm not well versed enough to actually talk about the mechanics of YouTube's proprietary algorithm. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, when a video reaches a certain degree of engagement, whether it's comments, whether it's shares, whether it's views, somehow YouTube or Google rather takes all of these ingredients and tosses them together in a big pot and decides that this is a topic that people are interested in, or this is a video that people are interested in. And if you do that, it gets pushed to not just this person's YouTube page, but the front page of YouTube. And then all kinds of people stumble upon it, or it gets recommended when people are watching videos on similar subject matter. Now YouTube has tweaked and adjusted this algorithm. Um, There was a very, prominent case of this a few years ago because youtube was the algorithm was in fact leading people to further and further and further extremist content the more time they spent on youtube this was reported on people were upset about it and youtube then said that they were making changes again these are all closely guarded corporate secrets so they don't actually say how and why this stew gets cooked but 
you know, what I can say is what this person said in a broadcast and in some direct messages that I obtained, which was he said to a Twitter follower that in a direct message that YouTube picks and chooses who becomes rich and famous. And he was saying it as if to say, well, yeah, they chose me. Um, he is he does, you know, all credit to him. He produces a metric ton of content from about 2019 to, early, you know, December 2020. He was putting out, you know, an hour and 40 minutes of YouTube commentary a day, plus a two hour live broadcast every weeknight. You so call that's that the Chase Thomas podcast method. Yeah, I know. It's a lot of stuff. And he does a very good job. I rescind that. I just realized I put myself <laughs> in comparison with the uh, temples. So, right, yeah, I go ahead and rescind that. Retract, the record. Retract. Strike it from the record, folks. Strike it. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remove it. Um, he does a very good job of making videos and addressing subjects which catch this magical, mysterious algorithm's eye. Um, and so, again, part of my story is like, well, okay. You know, look, a person talking about right wing and occasionally far right ideas like one of his he he the thing that he does really that, that that always boggles me is he always like no matter what issue is roiling the right online in any given day or uh, what transgression of the left is bothering the right he pool as almost as a matter of course manages to say this is just another grain of sand leading us towards open civil war so, you know, he, he does a, a – but, you know, the, the, the question for me isn't, well, okay, so there's a person who a lot of people like to hear uh, spouting political ideas and, and expressing their viewpoints on current issues of the day. The place where it becomes, I think – how can I express this? The place where, where uh, I, I – that causes me – some consternation is the fact that people are treating him as not just a TV show that they like to watch or an internet show they like to watch, but a source of information. And I, you know, people of course are free to like to consume whatever entertainment they like, like the Chase Thomas podcast, which mm -hmm. airs five, five days a week and is, is quite delightful mm -hmm. and is never, never, as far as I know, radicalized anyone. <laughs> that would be weird. Except for a few certain, perhaps SEC diehards. But well, I was gonna um, say, like, it'd be weird if I got stopped somewhere in Knoxville, and they're like, "You, I lost my son because of you." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> well, I think the thing. I mean, the thing is that that there are a lot of people who treat him as a sort, as a way to understand how the world works. And I think anyone who spends, who uses this person as a primary source of information, or even a secondary source of information, is going to understand less about the way the world works and they will leave it being more confused um because the things he says are often if not you know just incorrect or they make wild extrapolations or all kinds of stuff i said you know it, it is the the question that i have is okay if youtube is this incredibly large social media platform that we are allowing all kinds of pe people to participate in. What is the information that we put out in the world? And I want to make clear because some some people have gotten mad about at me about this. I am not saying that Tim Pool should be deplatformed and taken off YouTube. He has broken no YouTube rules. While I may disagree with some of the things he says, or or I have you know I can report I can report point by point the places where he's just saying things that are not correct and are factually untrue. I'm not saying 
deplatform this man, take him away, take away his megaphone. I'm just saying I think it's very important that we look at how the role YouTube plays in informing the population because that's what it's being used for. And if that is what it is being used for, what is the kind of information that collectively, you know, we do live in a society after all. Mm, that's what is true. the people kind forget. of information? Yeah, people forget that. What is the kind of information that we want to share? What is the kind of information we want to promote? What is the kind of information that we want to get a great deal of attention for? And I think right now, the way that YouTube works, I don't know if it's just as an information delivery system. We were gabbing about this last week with, you know, dear, dear, dear Andrew Hammond, wherever he may be, about mm -hmm. how, you know, people can get misinformation. It's almost impossible to learn about the Simone Biles story without wading through, you know, uh, like just like Andy Dufresne, X number of miles of, of toxic crap before you can get through the actual information. And, and I think YouTube plays a big role in that. That's what I was hinting at. That was what they call a, a foreshadowing or a teaser in, uh, in the business. Um, so, yeah. I like that. That's, that's why I wrote it. And... Um, Yes, it's been shared a lot, and that's that's always good. I'm glad people are reading it. Um, and, I, and uh, yeah, and I, I've said this on another couple of podcasts, so I'll say it here as well. Wait, have you been um, appearing on other podcasts this I have, time? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been stepping out. I'm going to have to I, look at fact, the contract. I cucked you with some other podcasters. Yikes. I'm sorry. Yikes. That's bad. So, you know, like, in the in this... In the name of promoting better conversations and discourse, mm -hmm. if anyone who is mad about the article wants to talk to me and ask me questions and actually, uh, you know, or even, and even if you think it sucks, that's okay. All you have to do, I will talk to anybody about it, but you just have to be nice. Well, Bob, the people who are going to email you are not going to be nice. Well, that's the rule. That's the bar mm -hmm. I'm setting. I am, I am saying my DMs are open. If you want to slide in my DMs and say, listen, man, here's why I disagree and here's what I think you got wrong or here's why, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Dude, I will respond to anyone. But the moment you get uh, mean about it, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to stop talking. But I will. I am actually I am very much interested in talking to people who are consuming this kind of media and I am interested in why, and, and that's a quest, that's something that interests me. And so, of course, I would like to talk to those people. I have no illusions about the fact that I won't be able to change their mind at all, just like I'm probably – they probably know they can't change mind. After all, I, I wrote a long blog about it. But that's okay. I do – but I will make that – Take I will take that first step if anyone wants to talk. So you heard it here, Ferguson Chase. Or if you just want to say that the Jets suck – I will agree with you, and you can be as mean as you want. That's all fine. Mm. Both of those topics are totally valid. Anyway, so how's your week been, man? Uh, not too bad. Just busy. Um, okay. Grad school starts back in Yeah! How many more years do you have, man? When do you get to be Dr. Thomas? Oh, well, Dr. Thomas, is a, that's a couple years down the line. But um, what? It, there's no... I don't get a cool title with my masters no 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 cool uh, title know. but i'm done next year yeah that's great man you get to be you get to be master thomas if you like mm -hmm. master mm -hmm. Snake, maybe can we do that no no you just get a you get a you get a piece of parchment and and more debt that's all you get <laughs> 
but it's cool. You live once, man, and I like education. And I like you're an educated man. It's good. Yeah, education's Are, good. When does winter classes start? It's it's still August. This is wrong. It should be more summer. I'm mad about that. Yeah, but it's okay. It's okay. Um, NBA free agency. Let's Did you go. have a good time online following along, Bob? Yeah, I have. It was really fun. I was I was dealing with last minute, you know, corrections and edits with my editor last week. At the end, unlike Thursday and Friday, as uh, the Major League Baseball trade deadline was happening and NBA free agency rumors were kicking into gear and I was dealing with this article. It was a lot. It was way too much to take in, but I did it because I'm committed to reading Shams's tweets mm-hmm. and learning things. Um, wh- wh- which team would you like to discuss or just free agency in general? I have some questions. Well, about. I mean, your Knicks did a lot. They did some things. Um, Resigned basically everybody. You paid they, they, Julius Randle his extension. Julius got his bag. Mm-hmm. That look, Julius Randle at an average annual salary of twenty-seven million per year, from age twenty-six to thirty. I'm gold, man. That's that's gravy. Unless that's he's awesome. playing playing the Hawks. He still he still should get paid. Okay, I don't know. if you only look at that series, you only look at what he did when he was faced with real competition. It was it was everybody else's fault but his. Is my take? Yeah, he got washed by the mm-hmm. the Hawks. The Hawks absolutely dunked all over him. Dude, it's just that's the fuel that's going to make Julius better next year. He's going to use that to motivate himself. I, you know, whatever, man. Failure is the greatest teacher, and Julius Randle knows that, and he took that that dunkage. And he's going to use it to build on his game, man. Maybe he lost to the Hawks like that on purpose to lull the Hawks into a false sense of security. Did you think about that? I did not. I did not. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, both of our teams are capped out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did the Hawks do? I mean, they signed. They resigned they get, right? John Collins. They, that's right. They resigned. They John Collins. resigned Lou Williams. Herder's eligible for an extension, and they probably get that done. Um, they. Trey maxed got his out Trey, so the the cap space it went away rather quickly. Goodbye. Yeah, pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they did that last year when they got. Well, now it's even more expensive. Out. So right. Trey doesn't kick kick in till next year, but like okay. Collins, I think starts this year. And see, Collins, I was, Collins. If Collins hadn't had that, you know, a little up and down, but a lot of really good playoff moments. Mm-hmm. There's an argument to be made for letting John Collins walk. Well, I think most NBA teams now across the landscape is just like you you sign them and then you just sign them so that you, you can get something yeah. for them later. Yeah. Because no contract's untradeable. I think that's like understood now across the league. And with the Miami Heat done, we've learned that the salary cap is just a concept really mm-hmm. rather than an actual binding document. Well, they're basically been... becoming the, uh, the, the, the New Orleans Saints of the NBA. New Orleans skirts the the salary cap and does some some devil magic to get around their cap stuff every yeah. year too. Um, well, that's like Drew Brees pays for it with his pyramid schemes. <laughs> that's oh, not speaking problem. of, yeah. Last night was a time because like I saw Kirk Cousins was trending again, and the Vikings have just been like, <laughs> and Kirk, Kirk, I will play in the cone of solitude 
if it means not getting the jab, cousins. Do uh, we need Andrew here? Because Andrew's a Vikings fan. Like I would love to to get this. I didn't know that. How did that not come up? It's come up. Was, I just I, I just wasn't paying enough attention. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay, moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, really? I mean, these oh, players, man, they're going to the unreal. I don't know. It's now permeating across like my personal life. So my girlfriend and I were talking about this last night. We we're at the vet and the mass stuff. And I was like, okay, when do we get to the point? And this is like, I don't know how I feel about this perspective. Cause I'm not, I'm not strong one way or the other, but we're now at the point where I'm like, it's been six months. Anyone who's not fully inoculated yet. Like what are, what, how do you even solve the Kirk cousins thing? Like, what do you, like when you listen to him talk about it, you're I like, Oh, this dude just thinks he's got like a, a well-oiled machine plan to get around all of this and to protect himself and, and expand would, the TV room and he'll really walk around like, a bubble. I would really like to hear famed um, health expert Tom Brady say what, what he's done. But that's like my whole thing is like, what do you even do with this? You know what I mean? Like, where are we at? Like, there's nothing more we I can do. I have no idea. We have dangled so many carrots in front of people and I feel as if a certain percentage is dug in their heels. Mm-hmm. It sucks, and I hate it. I am not, you know, look. Ugh. I mean, the, the I'm just the, annoyed, the, man. Like, if you keep up with everything on the variants and the Delta Plus variant and just reading across different countries, and, like, you also, I would just love to show Kirk Cousins, these other countries, that the people that are just jumping and would kill to have this vaccine that's just readily available, that we're just like, meh, eh. I'll take my chances. Like there are people all around the world about making the vaccine open source and sharing it with the world. So things like other variants don't pop up. That's probably conversation for another day. Yeah. But like my broader point though, is that like, it's just, I mean, a it's selfish. And like, I've gotten to the point where I'm just, I am so frustrated and I can't even like wrap my head around it. Any like I've tried to give people the, the one the one caveat I would say is people who are immunocompromised. Like I get sure. That. I get that. And if you are a woman trying to have a kid right now, I understand. Yeah, I sure. understand that too. I really do. That's a, Those... that's a, it's a very small percentage of the yes. population. I don't know. I mean. But if you are an NFL player who is in tip top shape, there is absolutely no reason. Like it's just. And then you watch. Have you watched the videos of his dad? No. at the pulpit so his dad is a minister in michigan and oh. i didn't know it was more of like a <laughs> conspiratorial church and if you listen to it very uh, very the media is out to get you satan runs the media yeah. that sort of thing well that's true but i mean mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's bad that satan look he's very upset about <laughs> statues being taken down um, he, look it was his decision to pivot to video so blame satan for that <laughs> But my broader point, Bob, about my dark and my dark and, and the dark lord, the lord of the flies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just frustrating because, like, when I watch that, and then people are like, "Oh, we got to do this," and I'm like, when "We're like, I'm like, when we're wearing a mask last night at the vac- at the vaccination clinic at the vet, I'm like, we're doing this for the people in here who are like refusing. Like, what? I know. I, I'm just annoyed, and I looked Look, at her, and I'm like, I'm getting annoyed about this. Even in my, 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 my snooty Brooklyn neighborhood, it's like there are a lot of people not wearing masks and I'm, I'm starting to be I'm starting to get a little pissy about it. And I mean, I'm not going to go like carrying a bag of masks and hand them out to people because I'm not a dick, but I don't think it would do any good anyway. But 
come on, guys, I know, it sucks. I hate the masks, too. It's annoying. Do it because you wouldn't... <laughs> like, you know, look, I've been vaccinated. Uh, if there is a if there's a point zero one percent chance that I might get someone else sick, I'm gonna take a few fairly simple. Steps. But are you gonna? I guess my question, Bob, is: Are you someone gonna do else that? Getting sick. Are you gonna what? do that two years from now? I don't know, man. I, I know that's what I'm saying. Like that's what I asked my girlfriend. I was like, "What? When is the tipping point where it's just like these people are on their own? <laughs> like, I just I, it's right there. They can go get it if they want a, to. If it were just a question of, well, you know, okay, so some people refuse to get help, and there's nothing that can and 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 are dug in their heels, and there's nothing to be done. I mean, I I guess a truly a cynical response would be like, okay, well then screw them. But it's selfish. But my look, the reason I want you to do it is partly selfish. I want to go back to the normal, and I need your help, man. Mm-hmm. We need your help to tamp this down. And that's I'm I not, naturally have a cynical disposition on this, though. Hearted position of like, look, like yes, it's partly I don't want random people getting sick and hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't want random people dying. There are new studies now, not to fearmonger, about you know people losing cognitive function, even from mild cases, and like all that shit is terrifying. So, and let alone before we even get to the whole, you know. So I don't want. All well, the reason to wear it is because it, have you read? To normal, and I need everyone's help to do it. Everyone needs everyone's help. We gotta all be in this together for just a honking minute. That would be nice, Kirk Cousins. It's just not like I'm in Tennessee. I see it like it's not happening. Like it's just not like it's never happening in Knox County. Like that, the the uh, that perspective is not going to become the overwhelming majority, Bob. Like I'm here. I'm telling you, it's not. It's not reality. Like it's just not not happening here. Do you? I mean, what do you know? What percentage of the county is not to snitch? But do you know what percentage is vaccinated? There, I think it's or? like thirty percent. Really? Yes. God. <sighs> Crap. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's over. Like, it's not like the only thing that's going to get them. And if you look at the, the reporting from the Times on Arkansas, it's requiring it to just hammer these hospitals and hammer these areas that were previously low level vaccinations. They're rising exponentially because people are starting to meet or starting to encounter family members who are going into the hospital for it, which sucks. But that's what's changing it is just seeing people, you know, get put on a rest like on a ventilator mm-hmm. it has to like touch home for a lot of people that's what i'm noticing if you look at the reporting like that's what's changing minds is it hitting home so i'm like well, what are we doing what what is what are we doing crap <laughs> that's what i'm saying i i'm just i'm demoralized and i'm just like I know, it's i know there's like i I mean, okay, look, here's how hard hard it is to actually change minds. There is someone, I'm not going to say who or how I know them, um, because I don't want to, it's not relevant. But there mm-hmm. is someone who I, who I'm fairly, who I am acquainted with, let's say, and has not been vaccinated. Mm. Um, I don't see this person very frequently, but enough. Um... And I, I don't know for sure, but the last time they and I spoke, they sort of hinted that was the vibe that I got. 
Um, they were saying they were just, you know, talking about waiting for FDA approval and like this is an untested vaccine and all this. And you don't know the long term. You know, it wasn't that the vaccine is it's, they weren't. They didn't say they hadn't been and they didn't say it was because Bill J game uh, Bill James because Bill <laughs> Gates put a. I like, want to believe there's someone out there who's waiting on Bill James, his baseball right. perspective right, right. on it. We're waiting for the sabermetric <laughs> analysis because, or you know, it's they're not they're not the kind of person who's going to be consuming anti-vax content or you know bad Facebook posts or anything like that. But they're my suspicion is is that they haven't. And if you said to me like, okay, Bob, maybe just instead of complaining about people across the country who aren't doing this, get off your ass and do your part. Mm. Ask this person. And if they say no, try to steer them towards the light. And, you know, I go, like, you know, that's maybe that maybe I'm, maybe that is what I should do, um, even unprompted. But mm-hmm. I have a feeling I'm not going to because it would be a, a very probably contentious conversation. And two, like I said, I am going to interact with this person moving forward. And so. Do I want every interaction moving forward to be necessarily and ant- possibly antagonistic or contentious? So probably I'm not going to say anything. Mm. And my out might be I don't have any evidence. And so me sort of gently trying to get them to admit it or not is there's no clever way to do that without, again, coming across like an ass. And so, you know, I... I understand. I don't know what to, uh, you know, and you're right, like one-to-one interactions and certainly no amount of well-meaning PSAs are going to be able to, like, change that. It may be just, it may just need to be people need to, it needs to be personal and that's all there is. Unless you want to get into some really stringent requirements that ideologically I have, I have, I tend to, you know, find bad. I think is the way that I would phrase it. Like, I don't want, like, government requiring medical procedures and and absolutely insisting on them is something that ideologically I, as a matter of course, would say no to. But it's like, it, it like the like I said, inducements just aren't seeming to move the needle yet. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are. Maybe it's happening slower than I thought, but it's uh, it's a little scary. I mean, if you follow Arkansas, it literally is coming down to people just finding people in their family or friends going down hard with the Delta variant. Huh. So huh. I don't know. I mean, my, no, look, my, this is something that my mom. My mom grew up in in Brooklyn, and uh, in the and she was a kid in the, you know late 1940s early 1950s and when the polio vaccine was developed they got it to 7 million New Yorkers arms in a week Mm. and they did that without with no TV let alone no internet I think it was a lot less divided time though I guess I mean it was just like I mean the, the idea that I mean granted at that point lots and lots of people already knew friends and family members who'd had polio. So if someone says, here is a vaccine for polio, it's just like, you know, like, I don't think it's necessarily that people were, uh, like, 
divided, I guess, is the wrong way to put it. Because, like, listen, if you talk to my mom and tell me what my grandmother, the things my grandmother believed about the actual concrete reality of the evil eye and hexes and curses and things like that, some of it sounds downright medieval. But, you know, they weren't, again, harping on the idea that the vaccine is secretly a tracking device installed by a possibly satanic baby-devouring cult. Possibly no less stupid, possibly a little stupider. Bob Silverman, we gotta we gotta end it here. Yeah. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> it's been a fun one. See what happens when you don't show up, Andrew? Do you see what happens when we're left to our own? Devices? Bob and Chase just go full full Bob and Chase. They get they get deep in their feels. Mm-hmm. There's no college football minute. This is entire anyone who is Anyone mm-hmm. who has not enjoyed this podcast, you, the blame rests squarely on the broad shoulders of one Andrew Hammond of the Detroit Free Press. Please direct all your letters to him. Our episode last week did really, really strong numbers. Um, well, yeah, that Andrew, and he stopped us from indulging in our worst tendencies. It's true. That is true. Well, we'll see how this one does. Um, all right. Everyone watch it to prove me wrong. Own me. Mm-hmm. Own me. Bob Silverman. We can find you on Twitter at Bob Sayetta. We can read your work in the Daily Beast. Just look up Bob Silverman, Tim yeah, Pool. You'll find it. Tweet. It's my pinned tweet. If you go to my page, click the link. Mm-hmm. Enjoy. And, and you know, enjoy enjoy your pup, Max. Everyone, have a good yeah. weekend. Yeah, me and Max are going to have a good weekend. Everyone else have a good weekend, too, please. Try to enjoy yourselves. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated please. and be good to each other. Just it, yeah. get the jab. Uh Bob Silverman, thank you. As always, my friend, I will talk to you next week. Sure. All right. Hello and welcome back to the Atlanta Sports Guys minus Garrett Chapman. But insert 680 The Fans, John Michaels. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Uh, Doing great, guys. How are you doing? pretty good i cannot complain things are looking up you get some kyle pitts matt ryan optimism in atlanta you've got i mean the atlanta hawks re-signing everybody you got the braves sweeping the cards uh you got atlanta united um all reports say people forget all reports are saying that leo messi is atlanta united bound things are looking good (laughs) yeah it would be nice if there's one organization that needs a shot in the arm right now here in atlanta it is absolutely Atlanta United. It's crazy. We were talking about them this morning. I think Jeff Schultz had a really good article about where we kind of stand with Atlanta sports franchises and Atlanta United. He had confidence in the team in a one and a half. Two years ago, you're coming off a championship and everybody's loving the direction of the franchise. And now all of a sudden Atlanta United, to be honest, they are a complete afterthought in our sports lexicon, which isn't a good thing for a franchise that got off to such a hot start in the first few years of, of existence. But it kind of feels like that for the MLS as a whole right now, right? Oh, absolutely. They had an opportunity during the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, to, to maybe come a little bit more front and center. And unfortunately for them, it really just hurt the fact that, you know, the, the model franchise, and let's call Atlanta United what they are, the model franchise, a group that wants to put 70,000 in, in an audience, just isn't very good. And now all of a sudden you look around, I can't tell you who the good teams are. And a lot of it has to do with locally. If Atlanta United's not good, I have no interest in watching Seattle or LAFC or New York or any of them. I need my local team to be good. 
Then I pay attention more nationally to what's going on. But during the pandemic, they absolutely did not become front and center and make people want to pay attention and watch them. Yeah. Also here, Max Markovich, a University of Michigan alum, the real UM. John, John's been saying it's the real UM <laughs> is here. Yeah, I'm here uh, here to talk, you know, 45 minutes of Jalen Mayfield if you want. And I <laughs> watched every snap, so I know it all. Yeah, watching him at practice, I'm going to tell you, with with uh, with our guy Caleb McCary not being out there, and I have no idea what's wrong with him. The team really hasn't said anything, just other than he's not performing right now at training camp. Jalen Mayfield's got every single opportunity to be the starting right tackle for the Falcons, and he's looked decent. I mean, he's a rookie, and they only had pads on for the last couple of days. We'll know more when they get the preseason, but if McGarry doesn't get back soon, Mayfield might be your starting right tackle when they open against Philly in about a month. Mm. I mean, I don't even know he's going to be under center. He, 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 uh, you know, there's been talk about him at guard mostly, obviously, with McGarry um, and Matthews at the tackles, but I, you know, I never saw a guard at Michigan. I saw a really athletic uh, tackle who had who had a high upside at flash. I mean, he he, um, if you go back and watch the Ohio State game from a couple years ago, he really um, shut down Chase Young um, at, at right tackle. But I, I've never seen a guard with him, and so I've always been sort of confused by that talk. It might just sort of be by necessity. Um, but but you know, I'd like to see him get a shot at right tackle if if uh, you know things don't don't shake out there. Yeah, you know, I don't know how Matt Ryan feels about having another rookie on the offensive line. And, you know, if, if Mayfield got a chance, we all thought it was going to be at left guard because that's the one position that's kind of open on the Falcons' offensive line. But, again, McGarry, the best ability is availability. And if you're not out there to practice, you're not there, you know, it's a new playbook, it's a new coaching staff, it's a new GM. They have no ties to anybody that was here in the past, which is good and bad. I mean, the football team's been terrible for the last couple of years. So when you get an opportunity to get new guys in, if I'm Caleb McGarry, i got to figure out what's going on. And, again, they haven't disclosed what what's nagging him, what injury he's dealing with. He's doing some stuff off to the side with some of the trainers. He's got to get back out there, or he could lose his job just by simply not being there. Yeah. Um, and, hey, you know, there's a lot of positives coming out of training camp, right? Like you get Calvin Ridley getting a DMP rest following in Julio's footsteps, which I love to see it. Like that was something that wore my heart that Calvin Ridley is getting some rest days. He's he's really easing into into the Julio shoes, right? Right, John? No, we, we do not want him to ease into those shoes. <laughs> and, you know, we were out there from Thursday up through yesterday. We mm-hmm. were not at training camp today. And Calvin's the number one. But he did get the day off yesterday. And it, I'll be honest, it struck me as odd. You know, you're you're five days in the training camp. They already had Monday off. That's just a plan. The way that the NFL does stuff, they allow for a certain amount of off, or they're not even allowed. They mandate hmm. certain off days as you get ready through and go through training camp. So they had already had Monday off, and it's like, okay, why does Calvin really need to be out there? I get it. He's coming off surgery, and it may have been one where they just said, look, we're not going to kill him trying to get ready we you know he doesn't have anything to prove we know he can be a number one receiver we saw it a year ago even when julio was out calvin put up monster numbers coming down the stretch you're talking about seven for 150 here 10 for 163 there he's a true number one and i'll be honest on the offensive side of the ball outside of matt ryan he's probably the most indispensable guy on the team because god forbid if something happens to calvin ridley and you suddenly you have russell gage as your number one and Lord knows who would be your two, three, four, and five receivers at that point. They go from being a decent receiving core to probably the worst in the league. So 
you need Calvin Ridley to be out there. The team's obviously going to be cautious. He looks great, though. I mean, he shows no ill effect of any offseason surgery. He'll be the number one, and I can promise you, he is the anti-Julio Jones when it comes to just being available during practice. He's there working before and afterwards, yeah, getting timing down with Matt Ryan. I look forward to him putting up close to 100 catches and being a 14 or 1,500-yard receiver. Hmm. Who, and meanwhile, up in there, up there in Nashville, uh, Julio's already talking about whether he's going to practice at all. So uh, we, you know, we've seen I, plenty of that. We have, and, and I'll say this: I, you know, I know it's easy now to pile on to Julio, and I saw D led with an article, and some different, some different blogs in Atlanta immediately start writing about him being hurt. Julio Jones was a warrior. People love to say, "Oh, he was injury prone." He was hurt prone to me. He was never injury prone. He only had two years in the time he was here in Atlanta where he missed multiple games. 13 where he had foot surgery, and he literally had a screw break in his foot. Not a whole lot you can do about that. And then last year, he dealt with a hamstring injury. He'll be a gamer, and he'll go on Sundays. Quite frankly, though, I think the offense, and you needed a new direction. You needed something to happen where, you know, you weren't really worried about your number one, your second highest paid player on your offense, not practicing three or four days a week and then giving it a go on Sunday. I think Arthur Smith wanted the accountability on the football team. They realized that Julio didn't want to be there. Quite frankly, I'm over Julio. It's nothing against him. I wish him nothing but the best in Tennessee, but it's time to turn the page and make the Falcons, you know, go with what they have and see if they can win some more games this year. Yeah, who who's pop most for Finn at the wide receiver spot when he's watching? Who is it Gage? Is it Blake? Is it Pitts? Is it Ridley? You know, Ridley's the number one. It's easy. I've been trying to pay attention to guys that are fighting for a roster spot. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, I love Frank Darby. I think Frank Darby's Mm. got – he's got an excitement about him. He's got a little bit of an edge. I don't want to say arrogance. He definitely has some confidence about him. The biggest thing with him is just catching the routine passes. He'll go up down the sideline, and we've seen this during practice. He'll go up during the sideline and make an unbelievable, you know, one-on-one contested catch against a defensive back in great coverage. And then he'll run a simple curl out, the ball will hit him in the hands, and he drops it. And that was one of the biggest problems that he had at Arizona State was just consistently catching the football. He has every opportunity to right now to, at minimum, be the number four on this team. I think there's a chance he could ultimately be the number three receiver behind Gage and Ridley. I love him. There's an undrafted kid named Chris Rowland. Now, he is a tiny tiny little receiver but every time he's in drills and granted it's sometime against corners five six and eight he is shaking guys into the ground and he's got an innate ability to get open it's funny i was standing next to arch yesterday and arch was giving me you know because we always we all love to pick kind of your camp guy and i said my two guys is javian hawkins at running back and it's chris mm. Roland at receiver and Roland made a couple of catches and he also had two times that the ball was punched out sort of at the end of a drill where he put it on the ground and him and shock and Finn all look at me and they go, there's your guy fumbling again. He ain't going to make the football team that way. But I like Roland. Javion Hawkins is my guy as well, but Roland's a guy that pops. But I think Frank Darby, when it comes down to making the team and making an impact, he could be a guy that has 30 catches this year and maybe uh, becomes a more prominent role as his career rolls along. Darby's fun. Yeah. Darby is a fun dude. And I, I like the Hawkins pick. I think he, like what he did in 2019, I think is more uh, is is closer to what he's going to be as a player, especially um, being able to catch passes, being able to line up out wide backfield, just gives you more versatility than Mike Davis, who's just going to eat a lot of carries at the middle. Um, are his thighs as advertised, John? 
Oh yeah, he's got some big old thighs. <laughs> and it's funny when they were they were doing the ratings on Madden. I guess they were talking about truck stick. Mm-hmm. And Mike Davis was interviewing other players, and I, and I think his truck stick or his I don't know his break tackle, whatever the rating is on Madden, was only like eighty something. And he goes, I guess I'm going to have to showcase my thighs a little bit more. I think about some of the guys that have played back for Atlanta over the last few years. Michael Turner has some of the biggest thighs I've ever seen. Steven Jackson had some gigantic thighs, although he'd pull his hamstring getting off the bus. And Mike Davis is right there with him. And you're going to need this guy to be, you know, probably a 1,100 yard back. You know, you need him to be a guy in his career high, I think it's 169 carries. He's going to have to carry it 250 times easy. He did catch 59 balls out of the backfield last year for Carolina, something that the Falcons were missing with Todd Gurley and Ito Smith and guys like that. So I think he could be a versatile number one. Quadri Allison was a little bit banged up, didn't really practice yesterday. Then all of a sudden you get down Cordero Patterson. I know we think of him as a wide receiver. He's been playing exclusive running back in training camp. He's a guy that becomes a matchup nightmare for linebackers because he's still got receiver speed. He's a big-ass dude back there. And I think Javion Hawkins has a chance to make it as your fourth back only because he gives you something that nobody else has. And that's elusive speed, that ability to put a foot in the ground and really get upfield and go. He was a guy that two years ago posted 1,500 yards on the ground for Louisville. He was a monster. I knew he killed my Canes last year. Had about 200 yards total offense. And then, of course, Arch had to remind me. He goes, North Carolina just ran for another first down. I said, really? That's what I got to <laughs> hear out on the practice field. Because Michael Carter and Javante Williams, they combined for 556. So I guess I couldn't really use Miami as the precursor of what somebody did uh, you know, against them running the football. Who on defense is popping for you? We've talked a lot about the offense, but the defense has, I think, a significantly more question marks, especially on the edge. Um, new safeties. AJ Terrell back for his next season here in year two. Um, who's popped the most for you? AJ Terrell looks like a true number one now. It's almost like he accepted that role and he's run with it. He's head and shoulders better than any other corner that we have on the team. And that's no disrespect to Kendall Sheffield or guys like that, Isaiah Oliver. But A.J., has, every time they go into drills, A.J.'s matching up with Kyle Pitts. He's matching up with Calvin Ridley. He's matching up with Russell Gage. He's not going against any of the Hammond Eggers, and he looks like a guy. And remember, with Dean Pease, this is going to be totally different than the vanilla defense we saw under Dan Quinn. You're going to see blitzes from everywhere. You're going to see corners exposed. They're going to run a lot of exotic coverages, and A.J. looks like the guy – but I'll go to the defensive line. Grady's the only given. I like what I've seen out of Marlon Davidson so far. He's a guy that was on a milk carton a year ago because of injuries. And the Falcons, they almost feel like they have an extra second-round pick in him because we don't really know what he can do. He was really good at Auburn. We thought we had a guy that was going to start on the D-line a year ago, got hurt, never really made an impact. They played a lot of base 3-4 He's lining up at that five-technique defensive end. A lot of times it's him and Grady at defensive end with Tyler Davidson on the nose. In pass rush situations, they'll move Kaminsky into DN, slide Grady over the center to let him penetrate from inside. But I like Marlon Davidson. I think he's a guy that's got a chance to really make some plays for the Falcons. Hmm. I think with the we just need one more year, Max, with Deidre Sinat, right? Like, I think we should just... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think he, just... He's a guy we Break put a moratorium... We put a moratorium day mm-hmm. one of training camp. We no longer mention him by name. He's number 94. <laughs> uh, he's not going to make the football team. Dedrick Sanat's going to get cut. Oh, there's no. no chance. There's no chance he's on this football team. 
I'm group. curious because we we talked about Chase. We talked about the secondary a good mm. bit a few weeks ago, and I'm curious. Obviously, all the hype um, is with AJ Terrell, and you know you love to hear every every bit of that. Um, but I'm curious, John, what your thoughts are um, with the rest of the secondary and what like level of concern versus optimism. Other guys you think could pop there. Yeah, it, it's definitely concerning. I think Kendall Sheffield's eased into the number two spot. He's probably your number two corner. Your nickel's either going to be Fabian Monroe or probably Isaiah Oliver. And Oliver actually played fairly well last year when he moved inside and became a nickel corner. The biggest surprise, I guess if there is a concern, your second-round pick, Richie Grant, I thought immediately he was going to be penciled in as one of your starting safeties. And even judging by yesterday's practice, they did a lot of 11-on-11 11 and even some 7-on-7s. Seven seven. Richie Grant's not out there. He's just on the sideline, and it's not a physical thing because they'll do one-on-one -on -one drills. He had a really good pass breakup a couple of days ago going one-on-one -on -one with Kyle Pitts. He undercut the ball and knocked it away, and everybody at the crowd oohed and on. But when they go into team drills, it's Harris and it's Harmon right now where you're starting safeties. And Richie Grant's holding a helmet over on the sideline. Granted, it's, again, seven days into camp. A lot can change between now and the time the opener comes against Philadelphia. He's a guy that I need to see in the preseason get out there and make some plays. And Arthur Smith is actually, he said, he goes, you know, Richie's looked really good in some one-on-ones, and then he gets burnt in team coverage. So I don't know if it's a playbook thing. I don't know if it's a, they're trying to teach him a lesson that it, nothing's going to be handed to him thing. But he was over on the sideline a hell of a lot more than I wanted to see. And that's something that concerns me. Eric Harris was, a, you know, let's be honest, he's a journeyman. Deron Harmon's a good player, but they need guys like Richie Grant to live up to the billing of being a second-round pick, and they're going to need it sooner rather than later. Hmm. I, I'm excited, though. I think they have a lot of dudes in the back. Like, they've spent a lot of good capital draft and in free agency there, and I, I'm interested to see what Avery Williams, Darren Hall, guys like that are able to put together. And I, Fabian Moreau, like, I'm concerned about Deca uh, Denard, because I thought he was really, really good for them last year, and Bleedy Ray Wilson was fine in spots, but I am curious, if you had to guess who gets the most snaps at the two safety spots this fall based on what you've seen thus far, John, who do you think it is? Yeah, right now it's Harris and it's Harmon. Those are going to mm. be your guys, at least today. Okay, you know, not Jalen Hawkins. Yeah, that, Hawkins hasn't played a ton. You know, just again, we're out there for an hour and a half, mm. one or two hours watching practice. You can only glean so much. But I looked at who was with the groupings. Mm. And right now, your number ones were Harris and they were Harmon. Now, this is where preseason becomes really important for a Hawkins. It becomes very important for a Grant, a Hall, any of these guys trying to make a roster. Also pay attention, and I tell anybody this just from years of doing the sidelines, Watch the personnel groupings on special teams. That tells you who's going to make ball clubs. That tells you who is going to be on the 53-man roster. If you're a guy that's not running down on one of the core special teams and you're not starting on one of the defensive sets, whether it's base or nickel, there's a chance that your number is way down on that depth chart. Special teams, I'll be honest, I don't watch a ton during practice. When they'll go over to the side field and do kick coverage and punt coverage. I was going to say, I'm we have a new punter now because Sterling Hopset, he's out. I mean, he's gone. He was an injury yeah. designation. Yeah, he was cut. I'll be honest, I didn't like him much last year. I hmm. thought he was okay. Maybe coming from Matt Bosher, who really could bang the ball and hang it and everything else. I thought Hoffrichter was just a guy. And unfortunately for him, he dealt with an injury. They gave him the injury designation. He can come back. Usually when you get the injury designation, though, you're not coming back. So it's Cameron Nislak 
former Georgia punter, who last, I think, was punting in the AAF for the, the Atlanta Legends. Mm. He's going to get an opportunity to come and punt. They were doing some stuff yesterday, you know, kind of watching guys returning punts and kicks. Obviously, uh, Cordero Patterson, a guy that gives you a little oomph in the kick game. Hawkins has spent some time back there, you know, and, and a little bit with Chris Rowland back there trying to make a ball club. But to go back to what we were talking about with the defensive backfield, just watch who's on teams. Watch who's gunning. Watch who's going down on kick coverage. That'll let you know who's making a club and who potentially doesn't make it, especially early on uh, when you get into the preseason games. Hmm. Well, let's transition to the Hawks. Um, they re-signed everybody. Let me check my notes here. Um, the best thing that did not happen, from my perspective, um, was Lou Williams did not get a multi-year deal. That popping up in the last few weeks scared me and was just one of those, oh, no, no backup point guards, uh, multi-year deals, especially ones that maybe it's the, the Chris Dunn PTSD, but uh, it's also just uh, you can win your deals. Uh, let's not attach more salary down the road to somebody like Lou Williams, who was bad before he got to Atlanta, and also just uh, thinking about retirement, and he might just be a different player next year. We don't know. It's a very volatile situation at the back uh, point guard spot, especially a guy who's entering year 17. Um, John, what did you what did you make of their free agent uh, retentions and just what the the Hawks approach, uh, what Schlink's approach was this offseason? Did you agree with it? Do you like everything that transpired thus far? I love it. You go to an Eastern Conference Finals and you're as young as the Atlanta Hawks are. You keep this team together. I know the big point of contention was John Collins and how much money you were going to give him. And we argued back and forth before the playoffs, during the playoffs, after the playoffs. And I tried to explain. I said $25 million in the NBA, it's not that much money. It sounds crazy. You know, I'd, I'd take $1 million right now to go do anything. Hell, I'd take $100,000 to go do something. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of the NBA, $25 million per is sort of a bargain. He's, I believe, the 46th or 47th player on average salary in the league. And that's about where John Collins is as a player. He might be top 35, but not much more than that. So you're getting him at $25 million over the... Hey, John, are you there? The Supermax yeah. extension, five for 170 and some change. And, you know, obviously the potential to go to 200 if he makes an all-NBA team. You had to do that. But outside of that, why would you not keep this core together at least for another year or two? Now, the, the approach becomes interesting after this year. Herder's up this year, and then two years from now, you're going to have contracts coming up with Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. You'd maybe replace them with Jalen Johnson in the draft and Sharif mm -hmm. Cooper, a guy that potentially is your point guard backup of the future. My only issue with the way that this team is, and this is a great problem to have, they're almost too deep now. You mm -hmm. almost have too many wings. And I wonder moving forward as Travis Schlenk, I, I use the, the phrase trying to consolidate. He takes two or three of these young guys and turns them into a potentially better player. But this team's right there. I'd argue that they're third best in the East right now behind Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And you could also argue, and I had this conversation with Joe Hamilton the other day, I said if they don't have uh, Trey Young step on an official's foot, they may have won an NBA title this year. They had Milwaukee on the ropes and didn't get a chance to have a healthy Trey really in games four, five, or six. So I love that you're running it back. 
the East is going to be a monster, and you cannot rest on your laurels on a Tuesday night. But I like it. you got a young, fun group that just showed they can make a deep run in the playoffs. Why not run it back? Max, what do you think? Yeah, I thought Schlenk handled the John Collins thing masterfully, honestly. I, I, you saw deals flying left and right, um, right at 6 o'clock on free agency when it hit. Um, but he, you know, I, I think he kind of leaked to Woj, actually, that they were close. So it's to sort of throw teams off the scent there because um, he would have had to wait on a uh, on an offer sheet so that the Hawks could match. But he said, hey, you know, we're going 5-125. That's, that's what we're going to do. Um, go out, shop. If you get a better offer, come back and we'll talk. But I think Schlenk sort of knew, like, that's that's not going to happen given who had cap space and who was willing to spend it. And, um, that yeah, that deal is so reasonable, I think. And you're not – it's not like you're paying for a guy who's in his late 20s, early 30s, and you're giving him five years. You're paying – that five-year deal goes from his age 24 season to, what, 28? Um, at 25 mil a year with the cap going up, like, that's, that's, a, that's a bargain. Um, and it's going to be eminently tradable, too, if we – I know we'll talk about consolidation for the next – however many months until it happens but that's a deal that you can that can be a front runner for a star when you throw in other pieces um and, and one under the radar move i really liked was, was delon Wright. i think that's kind of a move that that might you really might not pay off um in in huge dividends until the playoffs but when you have a quality backup point guard behind trey who also can slot in next to trey um that's the kind of move that that you know we've, we've talked since the beginning of trey's career about having that second unit not completely fall off when he's gone. Um, and he's just a professional backup point guard who knows his role, can come in, can make shots, can defend, um, and can run the offense when, when Trey's out. Yeah, and I'll throw Gorgie Dang in there as well. I mean, mm-hmm. One year, four million bucks. Onyeka Okongwu will be out probably till January with an injury. Which so is a huge bummer. Oh, yeah, it sucks because he was starting to play really well in the playoffs. He showed mm-hmm. his activity, his ability to defend. I don't think he's ever going to be a great offensive player, but that's not what you need from him. Dang is a very quality backup center type in this league. Mm. Two years ago, starting in Minnesota, he was 9-8 and eight as a starter. It doesn't sound great, but in Atlanta, you got to play 15 minutes, 17 minutes behind you know Capella and John Collins and be part of that power rotation. I like that. One year, four million bucks is very easy. You're not tied to him long term. They become fascinating. And, you know, for them, to honestly, I think it's just about health. Can DeAndre Hunter be healthy for mm. 75 games? You know, can, can Cam Reddish be healthy for 70 games? If that's the case, suddenly you can limit minutes for Danilo Gallinari during the regular season where he doesn't have to carry as much. You can limit minutes maybe for Trey a little bit, limit minutes for John as well. Uh, they're going to be, and, and the other part that's fascinating with them, going from just an under-the-radar, nobody pays attention to you in the regular season, to all of a sudden now you're a game that people circle. Because Trey put this team on the map in the playoffs. Imagine, they play Philly on a Tuesday night, they have Philly's full attention. They play the Knicks on a Thursday, best believe they have the Knicks' full attention. Same thing with Miami or Brooklyn or anybody else. How do they handle that will be the next step for me in the maturation process of the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, and I and, think... And one oh, go ahead, quick, Max. Chase, one more quick quick note, because I know you are maybe the biggest proponent of, of consolidation to find the right star, mm-hmm. um, is I think I think um, with trades like that, it's really important to have salaries in sort of a, a middle range, right? Where it's not, you're not, not guys on the minimum, not guys uh, making the max. And they now have, um, you know, a handful of guys who are making sort of between that like $10 million to $25 million range that become really, really tradable, if you want. And so they're in a great position to sort of be patient 
with finding the right star if that's the route they want to go whereas they don't need to just sort of um, you know, throw the deck at the next guy who asks out just because you know you never know when when uh when you be able to get a star. I think the other part is they've become a destination. You know, for God, I've been here since '98. The Hawks have never been a destination team, and it sounds crazy. NBA players love Atlanta. Don't get me wrong; they love the lifestyle, they love the strip clubs, they love everything else that goes along with being an NBA player. But they've never wanted to play here. Ownership was kind of crappy. The product on the floor was awful. The fan base was hit or miss, more miss than hit. You know, you had the one year in 2015 that was an anomaly. That, that wasn't a team that was a destination team. That was, you know, you put together a, a few fringe all-stars who had a great magical year together, and then it fell apart right after. Trey Young gives you the, holy crap, I want to go play with him factor that they've never had. You can become not only a free agent destination, we've seen now where NBA players basically book where they want to go. James Harden brokered where he wanted to be to go play for a title. Bradley Beal, I know he's now again said he wants to stay in Washington. What happens at the end of this year if the Wizards win 31 games and Beal suddenly wants out? And now you can dangle, hey, we'll give you, I don't know, Danilo Gallinari, we'll give you Cam Reddish. We'll throw in, you know, a Jalen Johnson, and for salary cap, we throw in some, I don't know, whoever else it may be to make the money match. And Bradley Beal goes, I want to play next to Trey Young. You get something that you never have had before, and I think that is a great problem for the Hawks to have. Hell, I'd love to take, and I say this openly, I'm a, you know, everybody knows I'm a diehard Miami Heat fan. I'd love to take two or three of the young guys from the Atlanta Hawks, you know, make our team a little bit younger because you have so many young guys that have shown ability to play in this league. The Heat Hawks games are going to be so fascinating. They're very differently constructed. Um, the Heat have more; uh, they have a higher ceiling going into 2021, 2022. But like it, just so much of it is just built on. It, it's predicated on the health of PJ Tucker and Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler with the amount of tread on his tires and um, here off the bench. Like there's like they're they're thin, but they are they are going. If everything clicks the right way in Miami, there's a real easy path that they can get back to where they was where they were two years ago. I think too, when you talk about the consolidation and we talk about this roster now, um, people get way too in on the Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson stuff. It's like, well, they're not going to play this year. And uh, one of the two at the bare minimum will not work out. Um, there's just not enough space. And that's why you're seeing Cam Reddish pop up in trade rumors is he looked great um, down the stretch in that Buck series. But like, I think Schlink knows and something that I've been concerned about and Max and Garrett and I have talked about it in the podcast before the Hawks turned the corner when they signed Bogdan Bogdanovich and they signed um, Danilo Gallinari and they put more of an emphasis on the veteran leadership and adding more guys solomon hill too where it's like hey we need to win and we start win- winning now um trey kind of was like we we need to do this like we need to get to the next level to keep me happy and to do that you have to sacrifice other young guys because young guys don't win in this league you cannot have four rotation guys or four starters who are playing 30 plus minutes um and be good when they're all 22 or on younger like it's just it's not how it works you have to have more veterans in this lineup and the only way to do that was expedite the process by acquiring Bogdan and um, acquiring Dylan Gonari and playing Clint Capella and all this, that, and the other. Um, I do wonder, though, because DeAndre Hunter, you mentioned getting 75 games out of him, John. I I think there's real concern. And people I talk to around the league about this, his knee, I think, is a problem. He's older. Um, that's a bigger issue. He's, what, five years older than Cam? Um, people might not know, but like he is, he's an old 24, I want to say, right now. And... 
I don't know. Like he was not able to play and the knee soreness is a real thing. The knee issues is a real thing. I don't think that's going anywhere. I think the knee stuff's going to be a thing for him. But you saw at the beginning of the season, he was doing point forward stuff. He was taking shots off the dribble, taking threes off the dribble, doing stuff where he did not have to sit in the corner like he did in that Knicks series. And he made some big shots in that series. But like him becoming a player who Trey can like move off the ball and he can bring it up kind of like what Herter was doing um, in the playoffs. Like that's a huge thing for them. The more, more playmakers, more guys who can shoot off the dribble because it's right now still just basically Trey and Herter and then Lou too um, when he was brought in. But like, I am so fascinated to see what the Hunter Reddish situation looks like. And when you think about consolidation, we got to see what those two do next year in the full thing because now the expectations is winning and if cam is putting up plus minuses that are atrocious and deandre hunter is struggling to stay healthy and they're just like the medical team's like this is this knee is not getting better we got to sell high on him before it gets too late that is a they're gonna have to thread the needle here because hunter's value is gonna drop tremendously if his knee is still a problem next year I, i know i just threw a lot at you but this is something that i think about that is going to be a big thing for this group next year it's not just him, it's Cam Reddish. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Hawks fans were going crazy when there was rumors that he could be traded uh, before the NBA draft for a first-round pick or something like that. That was my fault. I was I, I was scamming Reddit, and I was sending it to everybody. Like, let's let's race him out. No, <laughs> you know, and I, I sat and looked. I said, he had a good game in the playoffs, like maybe two. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there the rest of the year. You won without him. So I wasn't overly concerned. I am concerned with Hunter, and part of the reason, Hunter gives you something that I don't think anybody else on the ball club can give you. He is a 3-and-D guy that has the ability. He, he scored a lot of baskets in the Knicks series in that mid-post area. He was able to drive and hit the 15-footer. You know, the mid-range game is long gone in this league unless you're done. Collins, we saw he's too light in the ass to guard a guy like Giannis, and most people are. Uh, but there were times he got bullied around. Hunter's a guy that at 6'8 has a thickness associated with him where he can guard just about anybody, and you love to see it. I need this guy healthy because I think he's one of the catalysts, if healthy, that can help you avoid being in that 4-5 or 6 range in the playoffs. You want to be a team that's 2-3 where you got you know a home court advantage in round one and maybe round two, and you get a more premier matchup uh, in a little bit easier path. But you're going to need guys like that healthy. Hunter does concern me because he's missed time a bunch. If they can get him right and get him healthy, the Hawks have got themselves a very, very good young piece that I think in time could be the second best player on this basketball team. I think I think one thing we learned from the Cam Reddish trade rumors was also that the league views Cam Reddish a lot differently than maybe Hawks fans view Cam Reddish. Um, and like the, the rumors were about, you know, packaging twenty and Cam to move up like seven spots. Um, right. And, and that's a that's a huge gap from maybe what a lot of Hawks fans think Cam Reddish is worth. Um, and and I, I think that's evident based on I mean he's he's a thirty eight percent field goal shooter in his career. He's a thirty one percent three point shooter. Um, He's, he's definitely shown flashes, and we've seen the flashes, and the flashes are great. The flashes are like, oh, could this be could this guy be Paul George-esque? But we need to see more than flashes in year three um, to, to, you know, really think that he's a guy long-term for this core. And so the questions with Hunter and Reddish are very different. 
but I think that it's a huge pivotal year for both of them. And, and Chase, you were saying Hunter is older, but he's only two years older. Um, it's an old so two years. It's not. It, it's, it's a long. It's two a Chase years. Thomas podcast. But four years. Cam Cam needs, <laughs> Cam needs to show that he's um, more than just flashes in year mm-hmm. three in order to really be valued as 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 a key part of a trade asset even. He does, um, and I'm I'm a guy that's not nearly as high on Cam Reddish as everybody else. I mm. mean, when we got him back in the playoffs, we saw what he can do, and defensively, he's he's long and athletic, and he seems to have a little bit of dog in him. But you can even go back to his time at Duke; he was a five star All World, on, and, and unfortunately for him, came in at the same time that Zion and R.J. Barrett did. But he sort of just lingered at Duke. He never did anything that was really over the top you know i think the hawks drafted him more on potential than anything else because quite frankly at duke he he was a third option that played like a third option he deferred to rj barrett and zion williams and i get it zion is a star rj barrett's a good player i never thought he was a true star and you see that in new york he's a good player but i don't think he's going to be a star cam reddish needs to do more than linger he's got to figure out a definitive role for the hawks Part of it's being healthy. And I think he's going to be a guy on that second unit that becomes an energy guy, a 3 and D guy, maybe somebody that's got an aggressiveness where he can create his own shot on nights that Lou Williams doesn't have it. You're going to need that. But with that, if you were going to package him and you're only going to move up seven spots in the draft, he's not really seen as much as many Hawks fans like to uh, like kind of to peg him. I hope he ends up being the guy that we saw in glimpses in the playoffs. If he can get that to about 35% from downtown and end up shooting, you know, mid-40s from a field goal percentage uh, aspect and then play the defense that he's capable of, you can have a good rotation guy. I just don't know that he ever becomes much more than, I don't know, 14, 15 points a game on the high end. And I think with the way that this roster constructed, he's never going to be that guy. He might have to go somewhere else to become a bigger star in the NBA. Hmm. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here. John, do you think the Braves did enough of the deadline to win the NL East? Absolutely. Uh, And we've seen it coming out with a couple of games against St. Louis. Last night, two nights ago, those are games earlier in the year they absolutely would have lost. You know, Finn and I, for months, were looking at this lineup, especially after Acuna got hurt, and you'd go, we have Dansby Swanson hitting second or fifth. And it's not against Dansby. Dansby's had a hell of a run here lately. But after number no, five... No, we can do that. After- Dansby in the two-hole was a fireball offense for Snicker. I think I had texted the group thread. I, I'm not sure. But I was... I, I, my grandfather and I, we talked about this stuff. And I was like, Dansby in the two-hole is the the biggest... Like, <laughs> why am I still watching this team? Like, Dansby in the two-hole is enough for me to be like, oh, we've, we've given up. This is the white flag. Dansby in the top five of the order is just waving the white flag. That man belongs in the 7-8 hole for the rest of his life, and I will not stand for anything else. But the point of that Mm. was you didn't have a choice. You had Mm. to hit him up there because it's Abraham Almonte, it's Orlando Arcia, who's a middle infielder that they moved to left field out of necessity. And he was atrocious. Kevin Smith, who has no business being on a big league roster. Mm -hmm. And that's who you had hitting 6th, 7th, 8th, and then the pitcher spot. We were talking about this off the air today. I said, you were literally giving away four outs out of every <laughs> nine, giving them away. You extrapolate that over a game. You know, don't get me wrong. These guys will come up with a hit every now and then because they're major league hitters. But you're talking about if they get just, say, between the six, seven, eight, and nine, you get 12 at-bats during the game. 
you were lucky to get two hits out of those 12, which means you were giving away 10 outs during a game, which means you were basically playing with 17 outs the rest of the way, trying to come up with a way to win. Now, all of a sudden, you go put a Jock Peterson there. You go get a Jorge Soler, who a couple of years ago hit 40 home runs for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Rosario hasn't played yet. You're going to plug him out there in the outfield as well. You suddenly have a group that can get things. And don't, don't forget Adam Duvall, who you probably should have re-signed with the $5 bucks that he signed with the Marlins in the first place. You add a Richard, uh, Richard Rodriguez, who comes in last night in the eighth, and just bang, 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 it's three out. And now you suddenly have an eighth and a ninth inning guy you feel really good about. Add to that, the Mets only, all they got was Javier Baez. The Mets were always going to met. And I told the guys earlier this week, I'm more concerned with the Phillies than I am with the Mets. I think the Mets will eventually fade away, and they already showed losing three out of four to the uh, to the Marlins to, after the trading deadline exactly who they are. The Mets can't hit. They haven't been able to hit. They didn't address the bats. Yeah, you'll get DeGrom back. You're going to get Lindor back. But Lindor was pretty average all year long. I do think the Braves, their starting pitching has been lights out. I do think they have a really good chance to overtake. They may overtake them this weekend because the Phillies and the Mets are playing against each other. We get the Nationals who have absolutely waved the white flag. The Mets are going to have games coming up against the Giants and the Dodgers before we have to play the Giants and the Dodgers. So, yeah, I think the Braves did plenty. Uh, I wish they were healthy. You know, I wish they were in the financial situation where they could have gone out and got an Anthony Rizzo. They could have gone out and got a Chris Bryant or a Joey Gallo. But for what they did, balling on a budget, the way Alex Anthopoulos restocked this outfield, they did a really good job. I think it'll be enough to make the playoffs. And then when you get in the playoff, all bets are off. You got starting pitching the way the Braves have had starting pitching this year. You got a chance in any series to win four games. Mm. It's it's weird. It's just fun that they did enough to keep this thing interesting down the stretch. And I agree. I just um, you just got to be cautiously optimistic. It's like, well, they're not contending, but hey, we get to watch playoff baseball. It looks like potentially um, the Dodgers are just in a league of their own. And there's just nothing like Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and everybody like Seeker coming back. Like there's just nothing you can do with that. Um, there's just nothing. Um, unfortunately, you gotta remember though, you were up three games to one last mm-hmm. year without Soroka. Well, know, that was with the Cunha. Yeah. yeah. Bryce Wilson got a win in the in the NLCS. Like that mm-hmm. tells you where the series was. I think Kyle Wright got a win as well, and neither one. Wilson's gone, and Kyle Wright probably won't pitch again this year in any meaningful baseball. So. All bets are off when you get there. Yeah, are the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants better on paper? Absolutely. Brewers, you could throw them in there as well. But when you have good starting pitching, you've got a chance. And I think any one of these young guys, couple them with Max Freed, the way that he's pitched. Ian should be back here in the next week or so. You've got a pretty good one, two, three punch. Charlie Morton obviously throwing the ball really well. That gives you a puncher's chance if you can get in. And that's all that I'm asking for now. As bad as this season had been up until this point, the chance to get in and have a puncher's chance against whomever, I'll take playoff baseball coming up in October. John, what can we check out uh, from you this week across? I mean, we're basically co-workers at Blue Wire with your Miami podcast, but also you host a new a new radio show every yeah, morning, locker, Monday through Friday. The Locker Room, 6 to 10. It's the biggest show in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, five of us. It's myself. It's Brian Finner and home team Brandon League, Joe Hamilton and Hudson Mason. 6 to 10 a.m. You can download the 680 The Fan app. You can listen to us there. Podcasts are up. They, they replay the show at any time. So if you want to take us on the go there. And the State of Miami podcast is mm-hmm. coming back. Um, I've taken a hiatus during the off season. 
I'm not a guy that wants to fawn over 17 year olds and where they're going to school. I don't get into yeah. And it's well, you may want to. Age. Miami's pulling some dudes with their pool party. They had the the cookout or whatever this or the pool party. We, we had both. We had mm. they always have a kind of a pool party and then they do mm. the barbecue or the cookout, whatever the hell they called it, and they start to get kids. I just don't get into that. I think there's some creepy social media people out there that fall all over these mm. kids. Everything that they do, and it's not just Miami fans. It's college football fans in general. I tend to stay away from that. I guess in my older age, I pick my spots with who to argue with <laughs> on social media. Florida State fans are like, oh, our recruiting rankings are high. It's like, who gives a damn? You were 3-6, and six and we beat <laughs> you by 42 last year. Like, you, I, don't, I don't care what next year's recruiting class looks like for you. I care about kicking your ass on my birthday on November the 13th. But that is coming back sooner rather than later. I'll put an episode up probably this week as fall camp got underway for Miami. But – well, first and foremost, it's the radio show, 6 to 10 every Monday through Friday, uh, Sunday mornings, starting next week, 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Sports Map Radio. It's just Ooh. me talking sports. 5 a.m. Yep, Sunday mornings. And I did that because right now I'm on 3 to 6 on Sunday afternoons, 3 in the afternoon to 6. They move during football season, and my choices were do Saturday afternoon right in the heart of college football that wasn't happening or 5 a.m. on Sundays and I said hell I wake up at 4.15 every morning what's an extra day I get off at 8 I can go back to sleep for 3 hours wake up and watch a Falcons game and be good oh man I, Chase I, I, what do you think about what do you think about moving the podcast to 5 a.m. next Friday <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a hard pass for me it's going to be a hard well, I'll pass be awake, I'll be awake on a Friday at 5 a.m. just catch me in the car driving to work that's all you'll get at that point mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Well, John, thank you so much for filling in today. This was great. I appreciate you making the time. We can find you at John Michaels. You listen to you on 680 The Fan, 6 to 10 a.m. Monday through Friday, and the State of the U podcast uh, on the Blue Wire Network, where we're both at John. Thank you so much. Max, we can find you at Max underscore Markovich. Thank you, as always, my friend. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. No problem. Thank, thank you. you. All right, the local hour of the Chase Most Podcast, the Friday edition, rolls along after some Atlanta sports. What we have is an all-optimistic Tennessee portion of the said podcast, Rocky Top, Let's Talk, where I am joined by Ethan Stone of the UTK Daily Beacon. Ethan, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. A little tired, but doing well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. School's right around the corner. I am... I'm registered, ready for the fall, and it's also kind of terrifying that we're already a couple weeks out. So that that's on the table. Um, also here, who will also be in school with all of us. We're all going back to school in a couple weeks. Um, Ryan Shumpert, Mike Breen-esque Ryan Shumpert is here. Ryan, good <laughs> afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I appreciate that introduction. Um, means a lot. Big, some big time baseball in the Appalachian League over here in East Tennessee this weekend. So having uh, having some fun doing that, and yeah, no, from I guess late June when Tennessee baseball season ended to the start of August and fall camp felt like those five weeks felt like it was about two weeks. So it's uh, I'm not looking forward to school getting started. Am looking forward to having football there. Yeah. Um, well, we got some football coming up, guys, because Tennessee has been, uh, I think it's been pretty pretty solid on the uh, recruiting front, but I want to start 
Um, Joe Milton, we've talked about him a lot this summer. He is the odds-on favorite to win the starting quarterback job. Um, everything you read in practice has been Hendon Hooker has been like the most accurate, and I feel bad for him because he came with Pruitt, and he's kind of getting a raw deal here. But um, especially this being it for his collegiate career. Um, but Joe Milton really taking hold, and but if you watch the Harrison Bailey videos and anything Harrison Bailey, I don't think Harrison Bailey knows that he is absolutely not looking good uh or looking like someone who uh just what gaulish and hypo want in uh in their quarterback which is being able to move around in the pocket seems like something that they very much care about and that is not harrison bailey who is a uh quote-unquote statue ryan what do you make of the reporting on where we're at right now with the quarterback battle and do you think it is now milton's job to lose yeah, so being over at media day on Tuesday, and then I was at the first day of practice on Wednesday, and, and just listening to Alex Golis talk and, and Josh Heifel's talk, and then uh, the quarterback coach, uh, Hasley, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. I, I feel like I may, I butcher it a lot, so I'm not sure, but it, it just seems like they at least want Joe Milton to be the guy. He checks all the boxes. I mean, the arm talent is there. It From the guys we've seen, it's been by far the best, and has that ability to, to extend plays, and that's something that Hasley talked about. It's, it's not necessarily about being a guy that you want to run design quarterback runs through, though. Golish said that he could do more of that with Milton than maybe we saw at Michigan, but it's about being a guy that can extend plays. And first few days of practice, you saw Hendon Hooker do that pretty frequently, and you saw Milton do it as well. And I just think Milton checks all those boxes of what they want when you add arm talent kind of on top of it. Cause I, I'm with you. I think in a lot of Offenses, Hendon Hooker would be the guy for the job. I mean, he's had more success at the collegiate level than anybody in Tennessee quarterback room, and uh, I do think he's it's certainly involved in that competition, but he's, he's not getting uh, nearly as much love as Milton, and certainly uh, Bailey, I feel like, has gotten a, a little bit more talk on him, too. So Milton seems like he's the guy, when he gets out there, they're scrimmaging, it's 11-on-11, 11 11. does everything click for him, does everything a new offense click? you got to be able to check those boxes. I mean, those boxes are absolutely massive. Can he earn the trust of knowing all the calls, knowing the offense uh, front and back before Bowling Green on August 2nd, or excuse me, September 2nd, will be whether he's a starting quarterback. But I, I certainly think he looks the part, and if uh, everything goes as Tennessee's coaches hope, he'll be the starting quarterback. Hmm. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, people I'm close to have been talking to me saying that they're kind of expecting uh, – Milton, obviously these are just fans that don't have any insider access, but they're saying they think it's going to be um, Milton. I think there's a lot of people ready to rally behind him just because he's getting so much buzz on social media. I think there's also a small group of people that are just holding on to Harrison Bailey, just wanting him to be the guy. Agreed. Because, you know, he created all that all that buzz just a while ago. But, you know, I could, I could realistically see all three of them winning. Obviously, we said that a couple months ago, but... I'd say Milton has the lead just because of the way that the media is talking about him, the way that um, his players are talking about him. I think it was Jimmy Callaway that, you know, was really saying... Was he the one who said he throws the ball different or something? Yeah, he he was saying, like, it's just a bullet coming out of his hand. And it's like, you know, when when you got receivers saying that kind of stuff, it, I mean, obviously it doesn't point to anything, you know right out just say like this is going to be the guy but you know if they're saying that kind of stuff it obviously means that they 
have some sort of connection with them. Yeah, it seems like that is that is the case. But um, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. I mean, Bowling Green's not going to be a test. Like Bowling Green's the bottom five college football program right now. Like I don't know if people even know Tennessee fans know just how bad Bowling Green is um, and where they're at as a program. But Tennessee should win seventy to seven with this offense. Like this should be an absolute bloodbath. So I don't think we're going to be able to gleam anything from that game. What we'll be able to gleam something from is Pitt the following week. Like that. That is what we've got penciled in with a very good defense. They're returning a lot of dudes. Can he pick it versus whoever? But um, I am I'm curious because I'm going to guess that we get a rotation in Bowling Green. I'm going to guess we get some Bailey. I'm going to guess we get some Hooker. And I'm going to guess we get some Milton. What do you think? I don't I think it's very it, likely. I don't Ryan think in a blowout, I think you may get all three. I don't think like in the first half you're going to see all three. I think you very well could see two. Mm. And, you know, like I was saying, a third one, if Tennessee's taking care of business the way they should against a really bad program, you may see a, a third later in the game. But I think it's going to kind of come in with a plan to play one or maybe two. I don't think – I think they want to have it narrowed down to, to two in their mind by the time they start the season. Hmm. I think that's I'll true. Jump in, I'll, uh, I'll jump in on that and say, I mean, obviously – you know, Pruitt had the uh, Georgia State game. So, like Ryan said, they're gonna they're gonna go at it, even though it's Bowling Green, even though you know, bottom five college football team. They're still gonna be going out there. I think once they get a big enough lead, I think it'll be kind of a carousel, as you said. But obviously, at first, I think the starting dude will know just because, like you know, Heupel's gonna take it seriously. I feel like, Which ho- hopefully, anyway, I, I would hope it would. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think it's kind of easy to forget about. And I'm not saying this to say Bowling Green is to keep the game close, but Georgia State was horrible in 2018, the year before True. that game. I think they won three or, or four games. So, you know, it was going in, and there was no expectation that this is a, you know, we've had years where it's been, I just, you know, group of five teams could get Tennessee a good game here week one or at any point in the season. I don't think anyone really had that with Georgia State. Again, that shouldn't mean anything. Bowling Green is really bad. Tennessee should come out and take care of business and georgia state had a good year in 2019 they had a big turnaround and went i think won it went eight and four won eight games had a had a solid season but uh you, you never know uh, around here no you don't um but we'll we'll see we'll see i think at the very least it's good that joe milton is turning heads like that is a positive development based on how it ended at michigan and it's good to see how quickly he picked up the playbook and how he's impressing people and just how the coaching staff is talking about him especially with just Caden Salter's departure and just kind of where that left us a little bit where there were some nerves about are we ever going to solve the quarterback situation and maybe Milton is the guy who solves it for a year or two so let, let's hope um, Ethan you wrote about the cornerback spots so Elante Taylor and friends um, what did you find with the uh, the transfers coming in and what uh, Tennessee's got going with their their back four yeah, so the the thing I was trying to highlight best in that article, um, whether I articulated it well or not, is, you know, there's a lot of talent at that position. Obviously, Alonzo Taylor is probably the most seasoned one. And then you got Kenneth George and uh, Warren Burrell backing them up. Obviously, you know, the latter two are not as talented as Taylor. They still have seen quality production, especially last year. I believe Burrell had... Um, a lot to do with the ends of last season, you know, um, defensively kind of stepping up. I believe Taylor got injured. I could be wrong, but um, I guess that's neither here nor there. As far as um, Hayden and Turnage go, 
he did um, turnage from Alabama. He didn't play too much for the Crimson Tide. I know that much. I do know the the times he did get in, he had some you know production. Not exactly sure if that's going to translate to Tennessee. Um, Hayden, I believe, went to community college. He was a top five prospect uh, at the corner position. And so I think of the two, he's going to show the most production. I'm not exactly sure where they're going to fit in on the depth chart, but I really do think that having that depth from those transfers is really going to make a break when we get into the later part of the season. And, you know, if Tennessee's having injuries, if Tennessee's having injury problems and, you know, we're getting to the bottom of the depth chart with the balls. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see if those guys can step up and can offer some quality production. Hmm. Um, last thing on the practice report, uh, Ryan, who stood out to you most this week? Who stood out to you most in a positive way and in a negative way? In a positive way, I'm going to say Dejon Terry, the Kansas transfer mm. tackle. I mean, he is... Is he as big as advertised? He is as big as advertised, and he moves his feet really, really well for some of that size. Obviously, there's only so much you can kind of take from defense alignment, you know, defense line, offense line practice when they're not wearing full pads. Obviously, they're not going full speed out there, but he looked impressive. He's a guy that was really productive at Kansas last year and almost kind of uh, the opposite of a turnage who was at a really good program and didn't get a ton of opportunities. There's a guy that came in and immediately started as a freshman in a bad Kansas program, obviously, he was really good, and he was, I you know, I thought from the time, one of Tennessee's best pickups this offseason, and he looked impressive on a negative front. I mean, I I don't know if I'd say anyone's, you know, has really stood out as negative. Harrison Bailey, in the limited portion we've watched, has, has had some some tough, I mean, as you've seen in the videos, he's had some, some bad throws and hasn't been as consistent as I, I think he would like. But also some of that stuff, the quarterback, it's hard to, know how much you can take from them just doing routes on there. I mean, we're out there for it's actually been more this year, but still under half of their practice and, and not nearly as much 11 on 11, 7 on 7 work. Hmm. Um, let's talk about the new new recruits. So we got Addison Nichols into the fold, Big Git, Cameron Miller into the fold. Um, this name I still just cannot believe is real. Chaz Nimrod um, into the fault into the wide receiver room just an unreal name um he was a three-star miller being a four-star addison being a four-star uh ethan of those new three that we have not talked about since our last recording who are you most excited about and why uh i'm excited about addison nichols i think i think a lot of people kind of glossed over the fact that cameron miller is a four-star i feel like when addison nichols um when he committed a lot of people especially on social media, kind of, you know, you know, said Tennessee's back, all this sort of stuff, you know, obviously probably getting ahead of themselves there. But, you know, Addison Nichols, I think the, the thing that's most incredible about him I didn't realize is he's like a, is it like a second degree black belt I saw on his hmm. handle? And it's like, wow, that's, that's probably a good thing to have as an offensive lineman, I'd say. But, you know, um, <laughs> as, as far as his uh, his playing style, I haven't. I'm going to be honest. I haven't done too much research into him, but from what I've heard, he's he's the real deal. Um, you know, uh, obviously a big get for Hypel um, to be getting someone that big, uh, four star this early. So it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he and and Miller are going to um, going to do spearheading the uh, the class 2022. 
more recruiting. I mean, Taven Jackson's been the most vocal about beefing up this recruiting class, but I mean, it's all going to come down to like this class, I think is in the twenties right now with the addition of Nimrod too, but um, it's going to come down to, to one name in particular, right? Which name is that? Walter Nolan. Mm-hmm. Who is, yeah, folks mean, do not know, he moved to Knoxville. He's playing at Knoxville Catholic this fall, right? Powell. Or Powell. He's playing at Powell. Okay. And, I mean, that is what the report is. I know his family has, has been renting a condo in the Powell area. But as far as I understand, he still hasn't showed up to practice at Powell. And, you hmm. know, high school football season in Tennessee starts in, I guess, two weeks from today. So... I've kind of been still a little bit of wait and see mode. That whole transfer for his senior year has seemed very, very odd. But, I mean, that's that's been the word is that he's going to be at Powell. And you're right. I, I mean, it's one guy that can seismically, you know, I think change what this recruiting class looks like, how Tennessee fans buy in Josh Eiffel if he's able to get a commitment from a, a top-five player nationally. And it certainly would do a ton to – up excitement, but I also think it would do a lot to kind of give Tennessee some legitimacy in the recruiting world as they kind of work through a staff that has a lot of new pieces that are you know new to the SEC, haven't recruited at this level before, and also going through the the ringer of the NCAA. I think it would uh, it would certainly turn heads. Yeah, I mean this is the bit, this is like the one where if Rodney Gardner pulls this off, then uh, write a blank check. Whatever Rodney wants, Rodney gets. Uh, unlimited exactly. litans. <laughs> Un, I mean, you should probably have unlimited litans anyway, just from coming back to Tennessee, given his, how good of a coach that guy is, and mm-hmm. the fact that he could probably have a job anywhere in the SEC, and the fact that he, him and his family decided they wanted to come back to Tennessee and, and join in a, uh, in a mean way to say a dumpster fire of a situation. But it's a nice way, certainly a, a big challenge. So uh, he, he deserves free Lintons, I, I think, no matter what. Mm. Um, I'm excited for it, though. I, Walter Nolan, like, it's going to be, he's, I think all accounts seem to indicate that he is not going to commit anytime soon. Like, it's not happening in the next month. Because I saw, this is what happens, Tennessee message boards, whenever we get, like, any kind of recruiting, um, we get on any sort of recruiting hot streak, everyone's like, oh, does this mean that uh, Nolan might expedite his process because we're we're on a roll it's like no that's not (laughs) these are not related like we're not just going to end up now everybody joins up and we we form a super team um but addison nichols out of gac local kid like 10 minutes from where i grew up um it's gonna be good like the tape on him is good i think cam miller is good but like the wide receiver room is crowded javante payton is turning heads jalen hyatt's kind of falling on the wayside by all accounts callaway is really locked in ahead of him there um I don't know. It's just going to be an interesting next couple of weeks tracking this because there are a lot of crowded situations. The, the defensive line, we'll see. Uh, linebackers, like if you look at, I don't think Jawan Mitchell's running with the ones, right? No, but I mean, they had the, the two guys that were, you know, there in the spring. So mm-hmm. I, and I would say the same thing with the Jimmy Callaway ahead of Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt will be starting one of the receiver spots game one i Hmm. i still have no doubt about that okay well that's good that's good and then javante payton we'll we'll have to see because he's been good um and i'm i'm pretty high on payton so we shall we shall see and then you know our old friend ryan ethan you weren't with us last fall but our (laughs) old friend where it was like every notepad i I could go back right now and pull them out and just anything that was thrown to romel keaton was dropped or missed 
I've never seen two <laughs> players have less chemistry than Jarrett Carantano and Ramel Keaton. A tradition unlike any I mean, other. It was, it was remarkable. I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's just no matter who the quarterback is, there's no way there could be worse chemistry than, than what he had with JG. It was just from what I saw, mm-hmm. just from what I saw in Nalen. I mean, yeah, you're you're 100 correct. Like I remember one specifically. I can I can't remember for the life of me who Tennessee was playing, but there was like a wide open touchdown down the left. And Keaton had his dude beat, I'd say, by two steps. I mean, numbers. He, he Carantana throws on to the numbers and he drops it. I was just like, okay. <laughs> was that George? <laughs> Whatever. I'm not sure who it was, but I specifically remember it happening. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm just losing it. But no, I specifically it, remember that happening. I'm trying to remember. I tried to block out all the JG to Keaton plays, but it's possible. <laughs> I'll never. I don't even remember to play it. I don't even remember to play that happened in the game. But I'll never forget. Couldn't have been more than like 20, 30 minutes after the Auburn game ended. I had tweeted during that game. There was like maybe two plays where they had miscommunication or a drop or a bad throw from JG, and I was like, I've never seen two receivers not be on or, or a receiver and a quarterback be on less of the same page. These two, like, can we? Can we? You know, we. Me and Chase and I had the running joke that he was just. Messing with JG because he wanted his, his high school quarterback Harrison Bailey in there. Yeah. After a comment about that, and, and he liked it like 20 minutes after. Yeah. He did. I forgot was, about that. Yeah. I forgot he liked that. I forgot about that. Yeah, because I sent it to you. I was like, guess who liked that? Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Twitter is sometimes good. Sometimes good. Um, Ryan, what can we check out from you across Rocky Top Insider? Your your coverage this weekend, the Smokies. What, uh, what can we check out from you? Yeah, so stay tuned on Rocky Top Insider. A lot of good stuff from from all three of us on the first week of uh, fall practice. That's stuff stuff from uh, Hasley yesterday on what he said about the quarterbacks first week article on Jabari Small, and then just how different that that linebacker room. It still has a lot of questions, but uh, there's bodies there which there weren't in the, in the spring. I don't think any three of us are gonna have to suit up for him now. Okay, there we go. Ethan, what about you? Uh, Josh and I and our sports writing staff have a lot of stuff planned for this fall, especially considering football. Um, we'll be continuing with uh, some position previews. I believe safeties will be coming up next, so t- stay uh, stay tuned for that. All right, there you go, there you go. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. Um, this is uh, it's football. It's right around the corner, uh, right around the corner, um, and we'll have more stuff next week to talk about as we get ready for this for this football season and then a national championship run for the basketball team uh who who could who could foresee <laughs> anything else um guys stay safe out there and uh i will talk to you next week nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah